Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to ask you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians, and we will be in chapter 2. Uh, we began a number of weeks ago to study the book of Philippians and see what Paul, the writer of Philippians, had to say to us uh, here in America in 2017. Uh, this is an old book, but it's one that speaks to exactly where we are and the circumstances and situations that we go through. Uh, we said that the book of Philippians is really a book focused on joy. How can we have joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances? The apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Philippians was a prisoner and he was uh, likely awaiting his execution. There seemed to be no good ending to this story that was possible, but, but Paul was probably the most joy-filled person in the city while he was in prison. It's just an amazing story. And when he writes this letter to his friends in the city of Philippi in a, in a church that he had started a few years earlier, he tells them about his immense joy. And so as we read these words, we learn something about how we can have joy in the face of difficult circumstances as well. And so then we spent, pardon me, then we spent a few weeks focused on Philippians chapter one and we said that, that here we see that the gospel is the underpinning of, apostles, of the apostle Paul's joy. Uh, the whole first chapter focuses on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died so that we might have a right relationship with God. Now we come to Philippians chapter two, and here we're going to see the importance of having the attitude of Christ. If we're going to be people who are filled with joy, we need to have the attitude of Christ. And so really the theme of Philippians chapter two is found in verse five. And so if you'll look with me, verse five, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And so then throughout Philippians chapter two, he's going to tell us what that attitude is, how that attitude can be formed in us so that we can be formed in character like our savior, Jesus Christ. So attitude is, is much more important, I think, than people realize. Because attitude is the key to almost everything in life. It was key for the Apostle Paul with his joy. It, it, it's the key, I think, for success in marriage. It's, it's the key for success in a church. Attitude is the centerpiece, it seems, of almost everything that happens in our lives. I want to read to you just a, a quote, and I don't often like to read quotes in a, in a message. It's hard to follow sometimes, but uh, Chuck Swindoll, and you may have heard this quote before because it's uh, something that pastors just tend to read. It's such good truth. But Chuck Swindoll, the, the preacher, the, the man noted for his wisdom, the writer, you may have seen some of, his, uh, some of his books. He wrote about attitude, and here's what he said. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude in my life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace. We cannot change our past. We can, nor can we change the fact that people will act 
in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is to play on the one string we have, and that's our attitude. He wrote, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how we react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. So our attitudes are important because they're the, they're the centerpiece of who we are and the direction that we go. I think attitudes are also important because attitudes give us a window into our hearts. You, you can put up a front and you can pretend to be a lot of different things. But if you look at somebody's attitude, you can see deep into their lives. You can see deep into their heart and see what truly is on the inside because it's hard to fake an attitude. Attitudes are very important. So as we go through Philippians chapter two, we'll be here for a few weeks. We're gonna learn about the attitudes of Christ and the attitudes that we must have. And so look with me in Philippians chapter two. I wanna begin reading in verse 14. And we're going to cover the, the first half of Philippians 2 in later weeks. But I want to begin today in verse 14. And he describes this first attitude that we must embrace. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Your, might, your Bible might say, do everything without complaining and strife. He says that our attitude must be an attitude that does not complain. Now it's interesting, the word here in the original for complaining is an onomatopoeia. Do you know what that is? Almost sounds like a bad word, doesn't it? An onomatopoeia. It's a, it's a word that gets its meaning from its sound. Sort of like the word crash or the word hiccup. What do those words mean? Well, you, you can see their definition, you can hear their definition in their sound. And, and this is a word, gungasamas, it was a word that sort of sounded like grumbling. You know, somebody's sort of standing in a corner and they're just grumbling. And so he uses that sound and, and that's the word that's here. He says that Christians absolutely must not complain. Christians must have an attitude that forbids them from grumbling. And we see this in other places in the Bible as well. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That says that we ought to relate to one another and we ought to always show kindness, even to the person in the checkout line, okay? Even to the person at the DMV, even, even to the person at the insurance company, that we ought to show hospitality to people without any grumbling. James chapter five, verse nine says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. We must not grumble and complain. But the truth is, we complain a lot. Have you noticed that? We complain all the time. We complain about the weather. We complain about how we feel. We complain about uh, what hurts. We complain about the traffic. We complain about prices. We complain about the government. I think that's the favorite thing people have to complain about. And we complain about bad customer service. And we could go on and on. We complain a lot. And most of us complain more than we think we do. You know, it's easy to see complaining in the lives of, of other people. 
because we hear other people complain and gripe and, you know, my toe hurts and prices are too high and it's too hot and it's too cold and it's too wet and, and people don't like me and nobody's fair. And, and it, it's, it's easy to hear other people complain and, and see the foolishness of that because we see that it has no point. That, 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 that they're just expressing their misery and their gloom and their bitterness toward life, but it is, it, is, it is a pointless thing. And so it's easy to see complaining in other people. It is difficult to see it in our own lives. Because when I have a complaint, my complaint I think is justified. When I have a complaint, I think my complaint is something that's worth sharing. And so it's difficult for us to see, but the truth is we complain a lot more than we think we do. Uh, This is actually a message uh, similar to a message I preached uh, a few weeks ago uh, in in Ohio. Some of you may have heard this message, especially if you were on the search team and you were listening to messages online in Ohio, but, uh, uh, and I'm I'm trying to preach new messages uh, to you each week, but this last week was a vacation week, so I felt like the Lord gave me... um, uh, uh, liberty to, to, to preach part of something that I've preached before. But, but, but I say that to say I, I preached this uh, message or something very similar to this a few weeks ago uh, in, in Ohio. And um, it, it, what, what was interesting is at the end of the message, um, you know, people share their comments. It was not a very popular message there, I'll have to say, and it won't be here either probably. But, uh, but, but some of the people, some of the people said, yes, preacher, preach it. You know, that's good. Tell those people they need to quit complaining. <laughs> and you know, some of the people, not all of them, but some of them that had those comments, I knew to be some of the biggest complainers in the church. I wanted to say, listen, brother, I was talking to you. <laughs> it's hard to see complaints in our own lives. Uh, but the Bible is pretty clear. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, if we're going to have a God-honoring attitude, we just can't complain. I, I want us to look back at, at, at verse 14, Philippians 2, 14. But I want to read the verse before and after. I want to make sure we read this in context and and fully understand what what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. He says in verse 13, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And so God is working, and he has a purpose. He's working in your life with purpose. So, verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Since God is working and has a purpose, don't grumble, don't argue, don't complain. Verse 15, so that, here's what will happen, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. And so he tells us not to complain. I want to look back at these three verses, and and I want to highlight three reasons why Uh, why God says here, teaches us here that we shouldn't complain. And then I want to take a little broader look at scripture and I want to show you three more reasons just that we see in the full context of scripture why complaining is just not compatible with living the Christian life. But let me answer this question before before I get on with that. Why should we pause and spend an entire Sunday talking about something that seems as inconsequential as complaining. Now listen, because this is a mark 
of Christian maturity. If the character of Christ is going to be formed in you, one of the ways you will be able to tell is that you will have the attitude of Christ and you won't be bitter at life and you won't be complaining and griping all the time. Now, the reason we should talk about this, other than the fact that it's, it's right here in the, in the middle of this important Bible book, is that for a lot of believers, genuine Christians, the trajectory of their lives, the direction that they're heading, does not comport with what this says it ought to be with our attitudes. Now, oftentimes, as people get older, they complain more and more and more. Now, that's a problem. Not, not because it poisons your life and hurts your relationships. It's a problem for those reasons. But it's a problem because it reveals something that's deficient in our walk with the Lord. I'm not suggesting that you're not a, a believer. I'm not suggesting that you've not been adopted in the family of God. But, but I am saying that it, it is a very important component to our Christian maturity that we learn more every year as a Christian to have the attitude of Christ. And the way you know you have the attitude of Christ is because is that complaining becomes a smaller and smaller and smaller part of your vocabulary as you live your life. This is very important. So let me show you six reasons, three from this passage, three from the broader Bible, six reasons why a Christian should never complain. Number one, because it denies the sovereignty of God. When we complain, we deny that God is in control and has a purpose for our lives. Now look back at verse 13 that we read a moment ago, but I want you to see this. It's one of the most important verses in the, in the whole chapter. He says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And so when I complain because my, my toe hurts or, 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 or I complain because I don't have enough money or I, I complain because the temperature is too high, then I'm saying one of two things. I am either saying that God is not in control or I am saying that God is in control, but God's purposes are faulty. I'm either saying that God's not in control of this world, so something's happening to me, and, and, and God did not allow that. It is outside of God's control. Or I'm saying it is inside God's control, but God's purpose for me, God's love for me is deficient. God, God can't be trusted to take care of me. I'm saying one or the other. Either God's not in control, or God does not have a good purpose for my life. Now, you didn't mean to say that, right? You, you didn't realize you were saying that, but, but, but according to Philippians 2.13, we, we should not grumble or complain because God is in control and God does have a good purpose for our lives. And even though we may not be able to attach our difficulty to some purpose does not mean that God cannot connect the two. We need to trust God and not question his sovereignty. When I lived in Ohio, I, I would go to a local university to work out in the mornings, and they had a, uh, you know, an exercise uh, area that you know, community people could uh, could join, and and so I would go, and it was Denison University, the name of the of the small college there, and uh, the way 
the way it was set up, at least in the area that I would go work out, it was two stories. Uh, and so there was uh, an upper level, sort of a mezzanine level where most of the aerobic equipment was, you know, things like treadmills and, and uh, stair climbing and what am I thinking about, elliptical machines and those kind of things. So they'd be up top and then down below were some of the more, you know, intense exercise implements. And uh, so I would go early in the morning. And so I would be up on the top level and the swim and dive team, the men and women's swimming and diving teams uh, would be working out on the lower level. And so I would, I would sort of watch them work out as I was on the elliptical machine. And it was really interesting. I, I don't know much about college swimming and diving, but uh, it was interesting to see the strength coach work these people out. And one of the things that they would do uh, that the students just hated is uh, they had this, uh, uh, this contraption. It was about this tall. It had a series of bars in it with pads on them. And uh, these students would, uh, would get on top of it and they would put their feet in it and then they would just stick straight out the ends. And I don't recall if they would stick out face up or face down, but it was, uh, it was like a plank. Do you know what that is? So they would, just, they would just stick straight out, and the only thing that was hooked in the bars were just from the knees down. And they would just have to stay as stiff as they could while the strength coach stood there, and she would just yell at them. She wouldn't let them start, stop. They would start to you know, flag a little bit, and she would yell at them that they had to straighten back out. And listen, these students hated this. It was terribly painful. You could tell. And when she would finally let one off so she could put another one on, that student, and these were athletes that uh, were in great shape, I, I assume, but when those students would get off, they would just lay in the floor like they were going to die. And I thought, why would these grown men and grown women allow someone to put them through such a painful thing. Every single day they were there on that machine. Why would they let somebody put them through that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they trusted that that strength coach, that she knew what she was doing, and they trusted that she had their best good in mind. Does that make sense? Now, they didn't like the exercise, but they, they, they could have just left. They could have, they could have just walked out the door. They weren't prisoners, but they stayed and they endured that because they, they believed she knew what she was doing and that she was trying to help them. Now, when you and I face difficulty, when, when we're on that torture contraption, you, you know, when, when life is hard for us, we need to have that same understanding. We, we need to believe that God knows what he's doing, and God has our best purposes in mind. That God is in control and that God loves us, and instead of complaining, we just need to trust him. We just need to trust him. Now, the second reason we shouldn't complain is because it discounts the value of perseverance. Perseverance is a tool that God uses to great effect in our lives. I want you to look at verse 15. Well, let's look at verses 14 and 15. So 14 says, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that, so here's what will happen. Don't complain, he says, so that you may be blameless and pure. When we persevere, when difficulties come and instead of us 
quitting or instead of us lashing out at life, instead of us being embittered, instead of us griping and grumbling and complaining, if we would just persevere, what he tells us is that God will use that to strengthen us, to make us pure, to make us strong. God uses perseverance to make us stronger. Now, you can see this even more plainly in Romans chapter 5. Let me just read this short passage to you. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. That's an odd thing to say, right? We, re, we should rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Well, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and that character produces hope. And so every, th- every time you go through something that's difficult... You need to recognize that God just gave you an opportunity to get a little stronger. That God just gave you an opportunity to grow a little bit more in your faith. So don't complain, close your mouth and trust the Lord and know I just got a little stronger. I know it was hard, I know it was difficult, I know it was hot, I know I hurt, I know people were unfair to me, I know the line was long, I know the traffic was slow, but but if I will just persevere with the attitude of Christ, I just got one notch stronger. God uses perseverance to strengthen us. You know, I think back about that uh, swim team. Uh, There is a difference between, between our situation and theirs. Those swimmers and divers, they benefited from that torturous exercise, no matter what their attitude was. Uh, And they didn't have a good attitude about it. I could tell. Uh, but they benefited from it just the same, right? I mean, they, it didn't matter if they were happy about it or sad about it or mad about it or bitter about it. No, they, they, they benefited either way. Now, our situation is a little different. We're going to go through hard times. Okay, you're going to hurt. You're going to have less money than you wish you had. People are going to treat you unfairly. The line is going to be too long. Life's going to be unfair. You're you're going to go through some difficulties. There's no question about that. But we will not benefit from that. Those difficulties will not be tools in God's hand to make us stronger unless we have the attitude of Christ. And so every time you go through a difficulty, you're going to determine whether this turns out to be a tool that God can use to strengthen you Or this is going to be just a horrible situation that you're going to have to uh, gripe and complain about. If our attitudes are not the attitude of Christ, we'll not benefit. But if we can persevere, God will use it to make us strong. Now, let me give you the third third reason uh, Christians should not complain. Found right here in these three verses in Philippians. We should not complain because it darkens our light. It darkens our light. Now let's look back at verse 15. Verse 14 said, don't complain. Verse 15, so that you may be blameless and pure. Now look at the rest of the verse. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and a perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. The Bible says that God has put you in a place. He's put me in a place where I... I can shine the light of Christ into darkened places, into darkened lives. 
God's put you in a place and he's put you around certain people so you can shine his light into their eyes, into their lives. And, and so when, when we complain, what he says is don't complain because you're to be these, these points of light in people's eyes. You're to be these points of light into people's lives. Don't complain because when you do, it darkens your, your light. You know, as Christians, we ought to be people who are filled with joy. We ought not be bitter about anything. We ought not be angry about anything. We shouldn't be walking around all the time complaining and griping about life. We should be people who are filled with joy. Now, not because we're faking it. I mean, I'm not suggesting you fake something that's not true. No, we have good reason to be filled with joy. We should be filled with joy because we have been forgiven all of our sins. Is that not reason for joy? We should, be, we should be filled with joy because we have eternal life. Have you seen all of these uh, new superhero movies? I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to be like Superman and that nothing could ever happen to me and nothing could ever destroy me. Well, listen, I am like Superman because I have eternal life. God has guaranteed my, my eternity. And, and so, so that's a good reason for joy. I've been adopted into the family of God. I had fellowship with the Father this morning. The Holy Spirit of God resides in me. Listen, you don't have to fake your joy. We have plenty of reasons for joy. And so we need, we need to understand that when, when we gripe and complain, it takes that bright light that God wants to shine from our lives into the lives of others, and it darkens, it darkens that light. Years ago, I lived in rural Mississippi, out in the middle of, of nowhere. We were 15 miles, I think, from the closest four-way stop. Uh, we, um, th there were only two uh, sources of, of industry where, where I lived. We grew cotton and pine trees. And... Uh, uh, so they would cut down a lot of pine trees and they put them on these trucks and especially when it would rain The pine trees would just be covered in dirt and mud because they'd drag them through the through the mud to get them on the truck And the trucks would be covered in mud and if it was raining and you got behind one of these trucks, which was a common occurrence uh, the mud would just splatter all up into your car and, and and it wasn't just that it made your car dirty on the outside but it would cover up your headlights and so you, you didn't have to drive very long before you'd have to stop and you'd have to clean off your headlights in order for them to shine because there had been so much dirt and mud thrown up against them. Well, listen, as Christians, every time we complain, we throw up a little dirt on our headlights. I mean, God's put me in a place where I need to be shining some light for some people but every time I gripe and complain, it's, it dims that light. It throws some dirt into that, uh, to that light. We shouldn't complain because it darkens our light. But let me give you the fourth reason. We shouldn't complain also because it deceives our minds. It, it, it's interesting how, how when we complain, it will just confuse us to the point that we're completely deceived. Now, let me read to you uh, a passage in the book of Numbers, probably not a book that you read very often, but, uh, but the book of Numbers teaches us some very important lessons in life. And it's interesting to see how these people who were on a journey from Egypt to the promised land, how they did some wise and some foolish things. So let me read this to you. You may recognize the story, but I'll fill in the details at the end. 
It says, the riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. And so here are, the, here are the Israelites, they're headed from Egypt to the promised land, and they wanted some other food. It says, the Israelites wept again and said, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish that we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, onions and garlic. But now our appetite is gone there's nothing to look at but this manna. Now, let me tell you what had happened. They were, they were in Egypt. They're headed to the promised land. And, and now they're complaining that they don't have anything to eat. Now, they're complaining falsely, wrongly. And in their complaining, their minds have been deceived. And so they have a, a, a poor memory of what it was like in Egypt. So let me correct the story. In Egypt... They were slaves. They were a people who were oppressed. They were mistreated. Their children were killed. They were worked to the point of exhaustion and death. They were hungry. They were denied the basic uh, uh, necessities for life. They were, they were just on the verge of expiring as a people. They were miserable in Egypt. They had no freedom. They had no hope for freedom. And then God intervened and delivered them from Egypt through a series of miracles. And he is bringing them to the promised land, which is a, which is a great place to live, where God's going to provide for all of their needs. Now, it's taking them a little longer to get to the promised land than they had hoped, but that was their fault. But, but, but they're on their way to the promised land and, and on their way, they, they are now free. They're not being oppressed. Their children aren't being killed. They're not being worked to the point of exhaustion. And God is feeding them manna from heaven. When they wake up in the morning, there's food that has fallen down from the sky. Now in the midst of that, they complain. Now, why would they complain like they did? They said, there's nothing for us to eat. I wish we were back in Egypt where there was plenty of food. Well, was there plenty of food in Egypt? No, we can just look in our Bible and see there absolutely wasn't plenty of food in Egypt. They were dying in Egypt. Well, here's what's happening. When we complain, it deceives us. When we complain, when we focus on, on, on some small negative thing, I mean, here they were focusing on, on manna when they wanted ribeyes, okay? And so they're focusing on something. It, it, it will deceive you about both the present and the past. I mean, they're deceived about the present. They're saying, well, we don't have anything to eat. Well, they had, they had plenty to eat. God had blessed them with, with plenty to eat. And it had deceived them about the past when they thought that there was plenty in the past when the past was a, was a horrible experience. See, when we complain, when you complain, when I complain, we're deceived. Deceived means that we believe something that's a lie, but we don't know it. We, we are deceived by our own complaints. If you just look for the negative things in life and you just grumble and grumble and grumble about them, I'm telling you, your whole outlook on your life will be will be wrong and it'll be bad. You know, I brought, a, I brought a piece of paper up here. It's just a black piece of construction paper. And if I, um, you know, if I hold it out there, now there are a few of you that I can't see, but I can still see most of you. But if I just focus on this black piece of paper and I bring it closer 
and closer and closer to my eyes to, to the point that it gets right here. You know, I can't see anybody now. All I can see is the black piece of paper. It has changed my view of reality. Now, when you complain, when you gripe, what you're doing is you're just moving that black piece of paper closer and closer and closer until it will completely change your understanding of reality. When we complain, it deceives our minds. We should not complain because we are children of God and God is sovereign and our complaints will confuse those things. It's amazing to me how somebody can be a, can be saved, can have his sins forgiven, have eternity in heaven, have uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. I mean, we have such a treasure chest, right? And we can be driving down the road and the person in front of us fails to turn their blinker on before they turn. And all that goes out the window. And we are furious because those people don't know how to drive. And we're saying words that just, that, that betray our heart. And we're, we're angry. And we've lost all of our joy. And we just, we want to grab somebody and do something to them. And we, we, we don't know, we don't know what. We, we're, we're, we're saying things. We're, we're motioning with funny fingers. I mean, we're, we're just overcome with anger. Now, how can that happen? How can, how can we be, have so many reasons for joy one second, and then the next second, the most important thing in the world to us is that somebody didn't turn their blinker on, that somebody forgot to pull, uh, to have enough money at the checkout counter so it delays us in the line for 90 seconds. Well, I, I'll tell you why, because when we complain, it deceives us. It, it, it changes our view of, of reality. We shouldn't complain because it deceives our minds. Number five, we shouldn't complain because it distracts us from thanksgiving. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 18 says, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're to, we're to give thanks in everything. Everything includes, well, everything, right? Now you can't be thankful and complaining at the same time. You try it this week. You, you're one or the other. You're either being thankful, God, thank you for providing for me. Thank you that I have life and breath today. Thank you that I can drive a car and that I saw that the person didn't put his blinker on in time to press the, the brake in my car. Lord, Lord, I'm thankful. You can either be thankful or you can complain. And when you complain, you are giving up opportunities to be thankful. And so when we're tempted to complain, what should we do? We should force ourselves to count our blessings. Lord, I want to complain, but I'm going to think about three things I could be thankful for right now. And if, if you'll choose to be thankful, the complaints will disappear because you can't do both at the same time. It is always one or the other. Number six, we must not complain because it deters us from prayer. What should you do when things don't go your way? Some things don't go your way sometimes, right? What should you do? You should pray. You should pray. Philippians 4, 6, that we'll get to in a few weeks. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We should pray. Now, when you complain, when you turn to the person next to you and you say, 
It's not fair. My something hurts. You know what you just did? You just missed an opportunity to pray. The person next to you can't do anything about it anyway, right? You, you, you tell the person next to you, they, they don't have any control of the situation. The only person that might could do something about it is, is the Lord. And so when you complain, you have forfeited an opportunity to pray. And so instead of complaining, let's pray. Let's ask ourselves when we're tempted to complain, is this something that is serious enough for me to ask God to intervene? Okay, wh- whatever you're going through, is this a serious enough thing for, for me to ask God to intervene? And if the answer is no, then just keep your mouth shut, right? I mean, if you don't want to pray for the knucklehead in front of you that's making the line go too slow, well, then, then don't talk to anybody about it. If it's not serious enough to talk to God, then don't talk to anybody. So, so ask yourself, is, is this a big enough issue that I, should, that I should consult the king of the universe and ask him to intervene? And if it's not, then don't say anything. If it is, then pray. Then pray. We shouldn't complain because when we do, we miss an opportunity to pray. Now, those are our six reasons, but, but let, me, let me make it practical for you because I want this to, to make a real difference in our lives. In Lamentations chapter 3, uh, that's also a, a book we don't read very often, but uh, the third chapter of Lamentations is, uh, is an incredible chapter. And at the end, it says this, do not both adversity and good come from the mouth of the Most High. That that says, uh, doesn't God bring good things and bad things? God's in control of all things. Why then should any living person complain, any man, because of the punishment for his sins? When we think about what we deserve because of our sins, any, any experience you have, there's still reason to be thankful for the grace and the mercy of God. And so let me give you this challenge. I really wanna give you two challenges. Number one, let's not complain about anything for one week, including the sermon, okay? (laughs) Let's don't complain about anything for a week. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, you just said we shouldn't complain ever. Well, you're right, you shouldn't, but let's just start with a week. I mean, forever begins with a week, right? This will be difficult, especially if you're honest. Let's go a whole week and not complain about anything. If you've got a problem, tell it to God. Only tell it to somebody else if you need them to help you with it. Okay, we're not going to complain for a whole week. Now, here's what that'll do. If you make this commitment this morning, it will make you hypersensitive to how often you complain and how far short we fall from the character of Christ. Go read the Gospels for yourself, but I'm telling you, you will not find one place where Jesus complains. Never complains about the weather, never complains about being mistreated, never complains about being hungry, never complains about the attitudes of others, never, com- never complains. So one week, I'm not going to complain to anybody about anything. It will make you hypersensitive to that, and the Lord will use that. Now, I- I'm going to give you an- another commitment, and it's, a- it's along the same lines, but it's more specific. I want you to choose one thing and 
And in the, with the power of the Holy Spirit helping you out, would you ask God to help you never complain to complain about that one thing for the rest of your life? Okay, now, here's what will happen if you do. If you just pick one thing, just one small thing, I will never complain about that as long as I live. That will create a sensitive spot in your life that will remind you every day that you need the character of Christ to be formed in you. So last week, I, I, I knew I was going to say this, and so I picked my one thing. And I want you to hold me accountable. I want my wife to hold me accountable. Gently. <laughs> we went to San Antonio, a uh, little little brief vacation, and we were uh, outside uh, every single day, all day long. Uh, it gets hot in San Antonio. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I think the uh, the heat index was well over a hundred all three days. Uh, it was it was hot, and I decided, uh, and I'm going to really need the Lord to help me with this. But I decided I won't ever complain it is too hot outside again. Now, I just moved from Ohio to Texas, so <laughs> this is a Texas-sized commitment. But I'll tell you what it did this week, because it, it was hot. I'm not complaining, but it was... <laughs> but you know, every time, and it must have been in, in three days of being outside, it must have happened a hundred times. I'm embarrassed to say that. Every time I wanted to complain about the temperature, I thought about my commitment. And it humbled me with how far I need still to go to have the character of Christ formed in me. But it encouraged me that if I could persevere just one more hour with a good attitude, that God would use that perseverance to make me stronger. And so I want to ask you, don't to make a commitment, don't complain about anything for a week. And then choose one thing in your life and say, I will never complain about that again. And let the Lord use this commitment to help grow and mature you in the faith. So now I'm getting older every day. And I don't know how much longer the Lord will allow me to live. But uh, when I am near the end of my days... I do not want it to be said of me that I spent my last five years griping and complaining about life. I want it to be said of me that in his last years, he reflected the attitude of Christ in everything. Now that's not a decision I'll make then. That's something that God has to begin in me today. You know, the most popular verse in Philippians, in the book of Philippians, and we've referenced this uh, already a time or two, I believe, is Philippians 4.13. And it's, uh, it's, it's the favorite verse for many people. You know the verse, right? I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a great verse. If it's your favorite verse, that's a good favorite verse to have. But oftentimes people misuse that verse, and we've said that before. People put it on their football uniforms or... Uh, meaning um, I, can, I can score all touchdowns because I'm with Christ. I can intercept all footballs. I can, 
Uh, for oftentimes it's, it's people's favorite verse because they, they believe it means I can achieve all of my career goals in Christ. I can, but that's not at all what the verse means. It's not about um, some achievement, not at all. So I want us to, I want to read the verse to you, but I want to read the, the two verses. I want to read verse 12 and 13 to you. And you may be surprised at what it, what it says. Philippians 4 12 says, I know both how to do with little and I know how to do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. What does content mean? It means not to complain. That's what it means. I mean, just basically what being content means, it means that you go through life circumstances and you don't complain about it. If if you're rich, you don't complain. People don't usually complain about that anyway, but if if you're poor, you don't complain. If you're hot, you don't complain. If you're cold, you don't complain. If you're hurting, you don't complain. If the line is long, you don't complain. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. Paul said, I've learned how to trust God and not complain, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is, what is Paul saying in that last verse? Paul is saying, I can not complain. See, 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 I've given you these challenges, and I know some of you are thinking, well, there's no way I can go a week without complaining. There's no way I can make a commitment that I will never complain about the heat for the rest of my life, or whatever you choose. But you can. That's what Paul says in Philippians 4.13. I mean, if if we just put that verse in our vernacular, Paul is saying, I can, I have the ability to not complain because I'm in Christ. And and Paul says, every time I want to complain, I think about, I'm in Christ. I don't have to complain. I'm in Christ. I can trust that my circumstances are in his hands. I'm in Christ. I can trust that God's going to use the difficulties to make me stronger. I'm in Christ. I don't have to complain. That's what uh, what Philippians 4.13 really says. I can not complain. I have the ability to not complain. Wouldn't it be great? Well, you, you have a choice. Your life can, can go the way that many people choose that, that every day and every year you'd be more and more bitter and more and more angry and have a longer list of gripes. That's the path many, many people choose. But we can choose a path where every day we are more thankful for the provision, the grace, and the goodness of God. Now we're at this juncture. It's time for us to choose. It's time for us to choose. Just your head bowed and eyes closed. Father, this, uh, this seems, even as I studied this, it, it, it seems on the surface like a pretty minor thing, complaining. But Father, the more I study your word, the more I recognize that this is a central piece to what it means to mature in Christ. Father, I know many of my weaknesses, and I know this is one of them. I can complain with the best of them. And I know if there's not a special attention paid, if there's not a radical change, that as I get older, I'll just complain and complain and complain and Father, I'll, I'll become like 
Many others that I know, my life will be consumed in griping and complaining. But Father, I want the character of Christ to be formed in me because I don't have anything to complain about because you are so good to me. And even with my difficulties, I can trust you. Father, help us to make the commitments we need to make to go down the path of that, of that joy that the Apostle Paul knew because he was content in everything. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond to the Lord. Amen.